Welcome to Lydia Finette's Claim Your Confidence, a podcast that will introduce you to the most powerful women in the world as they talk about their own confidence journey. No matter what obstacles you face, Claim Your Confidence will inspire you, motivate you, and give you a roadmap to live the life you want. So, are you ready to claim your confidence? Hi, everyone. I'm Lydia Finette, and I'm so delighted you've decided to join us for Claim Your Confidence today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so excited to introduce you to my next guest, Sarah Haynes. Sarah is the co-host of ABC's Emmy award-winning daytime talk show, The View. I'm sure everyone out there knows it. And the host of ABC's primetime game show, The Chase, which I can't wait to hear more about. She worked as a correspondent on Today, ABC News, and Good Morning America, and previously co-hosted ABC News' GMA3 with Strahan, Sarah, and Kiki. But first, a word from our sponsors. Sarah, welcome to Claim Your Confidence. Thank you so much, Lydia, for having me. This is such an honor to talk with you. You too. Well, I have to tell you, when I was researching you for this podcast, I came across the fact that you are from Iowa. And I have to be honest, I am not sure that I have actually ever met anyone that I know well from Iowa. So tell me about growing up there. To me, this is a field of dreams life. Yep. You're growing up in cornfields, rolling hills. Okay, so you're nodding. I did work where we are right now as a page and people used to say, oh, so you grew up on a farm? I'm like, oh, I wish I did. <laughs> it was just a small town and not even small town in Iowa terms. It was Newton, Iowa, about population 16,000. So just a regular thing. But the thing I always say about Iowa is when someone said once, fill in the sentence, Iowans do what best? And I said, boredom. And what I meant by that was life continues to be exciting. Gratitude is easy when you start with not lights and sparkle and the best of everything. And you start with simple things and everything's uphill from there. So everything from making the most of your time with, I was one of four kids with my siblings and, um, just not needing much, then everything you get is like win-win. That's incredible. I grew up in a small town in Louisiana and I often think back to that as well. My entire childhood was spent outdoors. It was a thousand degrees. And I remember just sitting around being so hot with a lemonade stand with yeah. no one driving by and it was pretty much every weekend. <laughs> every every we climbed on. trees. Yes. I remember the days where we, I was really young. I can't believe my parents let me do this, but I was the third of the four. So we'd play kick the can up the street. Yeah. And I remember vividly my mom never leaving the front porch and hollering. It wasn't that close, but she would scream and it was recognizable to us and we'd just teeter home. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel simple. like the doors were locked. It was all outdoors. Yeah. And it was kind of your life and frankly boredom slash your imagination to yes. come up with what you will. So did your imagination, your wildest dreams growing up in Iowa ever bring you to New York City when you were little? Was that where you were headed or was this something that was kind of something that happened over time? Definitely something that happened over time. A lot of what I love and what ultimately I realized and recognized is why I'm here. It was always there, but it wasn't what I was focused on. When I looked at what I wanted to do, I always said I wanted to carry a briefcase like my dad. Yeah. And he was a business guy and my mom's pretty impressive, but she was a nurse in the medical field. And I just remember, I think I was trying to capture, I wanna go somewhere to work. I'm gonna be in meetings. I'm gonna have important phone calls. And I didn't know what the heck that meant, but that's what I was gonna do. 
And then you said, and now I want to go on business trips to lovely places. Yes, that's, yes, the other part. Yes. that's the other part of work that somehow we were just talking about that before the podcast started. So. Absolutely. Um, and now I understand the work trips and a night of sleep and uninterrupted just reading and stuff is priceless. Exactly. Exactly. So three siblings, I'm one of four as well. And I attribute a lot of my confidence to being knocked around by my older brother, younger brother, and younger sister. And I wonder if that was the same for you. Oh, absolutely. So I have two older sisters and a younger brother. And I think it's also that multi-sibling vibe reminds you, you're not the center of the universe. And there's a humility to that. And there's a peace in you're not going to be the one that everyone's always talking about. And that forces you to find self-soothing, self-assurance early on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes when I'm alone with my parents, even now, when they start asking too many questions, I always look around as if to say, where are my siblings? I need somebody else to come in Someone jump in here. (laughs) Can someone throw me under the bus or can I do that to someone else who's sitting across the table? And so you had three siblings. Were you a big sports family? Were you a big journalism family? Where did this all come from? You're saying no to journalism. No, well, my one, so we're a very active family. Mm -hmm. So But like most multi-sibling families, you don't go in the same way. So like my oldest sister was a really great gymnast and she was a division one cheerleader. And she was very much into the dancing, performing. My next sister, Susan, did some of those things, but she really did the best at things like tennis, vocals. Like Mm. she was an all-state singer, a performer. Then there was me and I was like a court sports girl. So I did the gymnastics, I did the cheerleading, I did the tennis, but I was good at basketball and volleyball. Oh, so interesting. And I enjoyed public speaking, but then my brother came along and he was more the tennis, the golf, the singing. Like we all had little lines that kind of were common, but we were also very different. But the journalism is interesting. My oldest sister wanted to be a newscaster and she went away to school and we followed all her tapes, like her VHSs and all her studio time and everything. So for the first, I don't know how much of my career, maybe until now or last year, people in my family are always like, you're doing what Kathy wanted to do. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I'm not. She wanted to be a newscaster. I literally am a hybrid of a changing landscape. I'm not a news person. I'm like a host, a personality. I'm I'm doing the same things I did to make you guys laugh when I was six as I am now. And you were just watching her while she did this, gaining practice. You were basically the Serena to the Venus. You know, she always says there was no, there's no Serena without Venus because Venus sort of set the road and she watched what she did and thought, well, now watch what I can do on top of that. Well, and it's funny because even watching her, news wasn't appealing to me. Like news and journalism and story, it sounded so smart and so important, but I was like, it doesn't sound fun. You know, like I'm more fun. And it was when I was able to, you know how every guidance counselor will say, think about what you love doing and find a way to get paid for it. Right. Sounds so perfectly bottled up and really hard to do. Right. But what I realized is when I was my happiest, and there was a theme here, was when I was doing show choir, performing, Mm -hmm. when I was playing basketball, everything from the warm-up, you know, coming out, it was like a stage. Public speaking, we were always in a comedy sketch group in the talent show. The combination, if you could put that into a hybrid, I was like, this is the feeling I'm searching for. What does that look like in a job? So interesting. So I originally pursued acting thinking the only thing I could assume it was, was performance. Mm -hmm. That's simple. And as I pursued acting while I was working right near us right now in this building, I would do auditions. And weirdly, I didn't get the same adrenaline. I kind of thought like I might throw up. And when things got canceled, I was okay with it. I had to take an extra class and it was TV hosting. And I was like, I guess I'll take that. 
And I actually started to get traction. I was getting callbacks. I loved it. I kind of felt like for the first time in a room, in that room, I was good. Yeah. On basketball teams, I had my two best friends who were always the ones coaches were watching. In every other room, someone else was being watched. I just was working really hard. Yeah. In that room was the first time I thought, oh, this isn't hard. Are you guys struggling with this? Like this is, and that clicked for me. I was like, wait, it wasn't acting. It was unscripted. It was hosting. It was comedy. It was, and so it's kind of what paved my way. And where did the line come from college to getting to the NBC page program? How did that happen? And you referenced earlier, we were, that your first job was here yeah. and we're in Rockefeller Center right now. So it's very meta that we're having yes. this conversation right now. And trust me, every time I walk near these buildings, I have met a moment. Like I can't help but play it all back. I had discovered the page program in researching for just jobs in the business. I didn't have what my sister had, which was internships. And I went to Smith College in Massachusetts and my summers were coming back to be with my family. So I was a nanny. I was a waitress. I was, I did anything I could do to get extra money, mm -hmm. but that wasn't going to look good on a resume. Right. So right. I never was building my resume. And then I come out and I realized, whoa, everyone was busy doing all that while I just wanted to be close to my mom and dad for a few months a year. Yeah. And so I found this program and I had been sending, it was back when you sent paper resumes. So I was sending and sending and sending, nothing happened. And one day on my commute from Jersey, because I was coming in for interviews, I see a man with an NBC bag. His name is Gary Quinn. I followed him each day. I'm a Virgo rule follower, so I'm not really brave or bold. Like, Interesting. And each day he'd get away from me. I was like, I'm not gonna do it. And then I thought, <laughs> how many times in life does this keep presenting itself? Cause I don't think it's a lot. And on the third time, cause I thought that's the number you always hear. I ran up to him and I was like, I see you work at NBC. I've been trying to get in there. And he asked if I knew about the page program. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been sending and said, he's like, here's my business card, send me your resume and I'll see what I can do. And it was now I know on being on the other side of it that often at that time when internal people passed along, they at least got an interview. Right. And I always knew, I will sell myself. Right. I know that I am enthusiastic. I am excited to be whatever. I'm not looking down the road. I'm right here right now. I'm a self-starter, a problem. So I knew I had everything. Just get me in that door. Yeah. And he got me in the door. So I got that interview. And then there's a blip in there where NBC went on a hiring freeze. And after I got my interview and they're like, you made it to the next stage. They were like, don't come in. They'll never remember you. We're on a hiring freeze. And I was like, but I'm so torn. Do I let them forget about me or do I use my interview? So for six months, I called back every week. Like, is it done yet? Is it, please, is it done yet? And I'd kind of given up that they weren't gonna. And one day I called back and they're like, we're actually taking interviews again. And that's when I went to the panel and I got through. And so it was a bit of a freakish moment because now the pages I'm still in touch with. They're my friends yeah. here in the city. And it's a very tight kind of, fraternity slash sorority of people trying to make their mark, I realized how impressive they all are. Yeah. And, you know, that was intimidating because they all had internships. They majored in things, you know, that were similar. I was a government major. I liked performing. There were a lot of writers and performers too, though, because a lot of I people wanted- I was gonna ask. Yeah. And then where did the confidence come for that? When you walked into that room and you were sort of, let me, let me get into that room. Was that something that built over the course of your life? Was that being a third child? Where did that come from in you? Because that's always the question that people ask women who are at the top of their game. Were you always this confident? Were you born this way? Or was it that you'd gone through enough at that point, by that point in your life that you felt ready for that moment? It's weird. I wouldn't describe myself when I look back as, oh, I was always so confident. I knew I worked hard 
for everything I ever had. And yeah. my, maybe my way of seeing my parents love me in a four kid family was always, mom, look, I got an A, look, I did this. I'd set these goals. And I did a lot of shooting baskets in our driveway and our neighbors laugh about, I remember when Sarah went to college, the dribbling stopped. But when I look back, I knew deep down, I wasn't gonna play D1 or anything. Yeah. I did play in college, but I was always aiming for almost out of reach yeah. because I loved the work. And I knew that saying, aim for the moon, even if you fail, you'll land in the stars. So I always knew this is the magic formula. I just need to not set my sights on the, the results. Yeah. I need to like live in the journey. I've talked to so many women our age who talk about the work and the importance of the hard work. Yeah. And I feel like that's also something that right now I hear from my friends who are hiring, that that is something that is lacking in the current generation coming up. And how do we imbue that into a generation of people who is like, but I don't wanna work that hard, I don't wanna do that. Yeah. How do we make them understand that the hard work is what gets you there? Do you have any advice for someone who's coming out of college and looking at the landscape? Because I do feel like post COVID, this is kind of a fresh environment to be coming into. Yeah. What would you say to someone who's just starting out, whether they wanna be a journalist or they have something that they want to do deeply in their life? As a, as a woman who's lived through decades of a career? Well, the biggest thing that probably always drove me again was not this idea of confidence. It was, am I okay then if I get what I get? Yeah. So if I want it that bad and I want my life to look a certain way, if I don't do something, I'm gonna just accept what I get. It's almost like going into a restaurant and not ordering. Yeah. If they bring something out, you're gonna eat that. Yeah. Do you wanna have a say in it? Because there's a lot of options here. And that's, I wanted to say in what I was gonna eat and yeah. how my life was gonna look. And look at that. Yeah. <laughs> look at that, it actually worked out. So and again, the biggest see. thing is if you don't love what you're doing, which is what the acting, a flashback to that early stuff, the things I was doing, something felt like I wasn't hitting that feeling I was trying to get. And I kept thinking this, ugh. And I found some of my feelings going into classes in my long days. I was a page and then training at night. So I'd go down to a conservatory and I'd be working all hours something wasn't hitting and it was my gut telling me this, the journey is not gonna be what I thought it was. Yeah. And when you start to get those warning signs, you're on the wrong journey. Yeah. Like you have to be on the right journey because then you don't need anything to result in the end. You don't need the dream to come true. The ride was enough. The ride was enough. Yeah. How did you get out of the PAGE program on TV? When did that shift come? So the PAGE program is a year long program and PAGEs go for all kinds of opening jobs because you're really trying to buy time mm -hmm in the building, 30 so rocks. stay. Yes. And to me, this was my internship, you know? So I was like, as much time as I can be soaking up as much as I can, because I looked at it as an access pass, which was, I will never drop the ball on what I'm asked to do because I'm so driven by nailing the landing. I was one of the only pages out of 50 that loved the tour. I was like, it's like a stage five times a day. I get to entertain with information. In fact, and they're like, oh my gosh. Like, like I'll do two tours a day. I'm I was like, I got this. Isn't that so much fun? And like, no one else felt that way. But I watched all the other pages like network. Yeah. And that word always landed crappy with me. I wasn't good at networking or schmoozing. And then I heard this saying, when your work speaks for you, don't interrupt. I can do that. Yeah. If you're gonna let me just work and then prove myself. So there was this interview that 
when I mentioned it to someone, because again, we're all competitors too as pages. Yeah. You're now competing for not only assignments, but jobs. So I heard about this and I was like, oh, do you hear about that? And everyone I talked to in a day was like, yeah, I've already met with her for an informational. And everyone knew. And I was like, in that moment, I remember beating myself up because I was like, see, Sarah, this is the problem with keeping your head down. You're going to miss something. Mm-hmm. Well, come to find out, these jobs often ask our managers, like, who are the shining stars? Who are the ones that are working their butts off? Yeah. And I was recommended. And so I got that interview and I thought, okay, Sarah, I have faith in the fact that my work was speaking for me. I ended up getting that job. It was an operations job. It wasn't creative. It wasn't, but I said, I will do any job you ask me to do if I can just stay here and learn. And so I ended up working at the Today Show, which eventually turned into your freelance. And they eventually kept me. And I kept thinking, am I getting stuck in the safe place? Because when I got staff, I got benefits. And I thought if I tell my mom, and dad that they're offering me benefits, I will have to hear what they think. And if I hear what they think, will I be brave enough to go on? And so I waited until I'd had conversations with my boss, who I'm still very close with, Evan. And I said, I didn't admit I wanted to be on air or do anything performance-wise because a lot of people that come in these shows, I judge people like that. Yeah. And I'm one of them. eager to do it. Yeah, Yeah. like, oh, great, you're one of those. So I thought, I'm just going to come in saying I love this TV world and I want to work in the production and not really be specific. So a year in, I tell my boss, my dream is actually this. He's like, really? And I'm like, yes, I just didn't really want to say anything. But now that I might be staying, I need to find a way because I'm worried I'm getting stuck. And I started crying. And he was like, most people don't cry when we offer them staff positions. And I was like, but do you hear the dilemma? You know, and do you see where I'm coming from here? He ended up reassuring me. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to figure this out. I know you're great at this job. And I'll work with you. You tell me. Don't tell me you have a doctor's appointment. Tell me you have an audition and I'm going to find a way to make that happen for you. And also a great mentor. He was... What a great mentor. He was amazing. And he was the first one that would pop anything I did or booked. I worked with all the production managers because I was the coordinator and they'd call him and he's like, you guys, Sarah got a part. And it'd be this like little interstitial on AMC and he'd play it for the group. We'd oh, close the door and, and he still remains like one of my biggest fans, but he worked with me and that's when I said, okay, then I'm going to take this. And I called my mom and dad, but my mom reacted just the way I thought. She was like, you need those benefits. You need insurance, you need. And she spoke to that loud voice in my head that was like conservative, safe choices, conservative, safe choices. That's where I default. And I didn't need that influence. Well, it's interesting because that confidence piece comes into it again, because you've already been challenged a couple of times. And then here you are with this opportunity, which you know, probably in the same gut that was telling you, you shouldn't have been an actor. This is the right place to go. Yeah. So then what comes next? Well, first of all, I was up against that voice when I got the page program. So when I got the page program, some weird things happened. I showed up so early for that interview because I didn't want to be late. Stood in the lobby with the security guard. The clock was behind. I go up. And my bosses eventually told me, no one who was late to a panel ever made the program except you. I was five minutes late sitting in the lobby. And so that happens. And then there's a moment in the interview, and these are pivotal moments where they ask us, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And I'm sitting with six other impressive candidates. And I'm like, you know, I honestly think I'd love to be like my sister. And this is that older sister, Kathy. I said, she has a job that she loves and she just had a baby. And I love that she is kind of, I don't think I said having it all, but I love that she could live both things. This traditional idea of being a mom, but also she was working and like making her own money and doing, I just thought it was so cool. The girl next to me was like, not me. And in that moment, I did that thing again, where I was like, 
Oh, no. Why Why was I so honest? Like, why did I do that? I, I just shot myself in the foot. Now, not because of that answer, but I ended up getting in and she did not. When I get the call, I'm in Kansas City at my sister's house. And I literally knew there are times you get chills in your body where I'm mm -hmm. like, my life just changed. Yes. And I still credit. That page program is the reason I'm sitting here. Like, there is no other way I would have ever been here. I look at my parents and I'm like, oh my God, I got in. My sister eventually left journalism and did marketing. So all of them do conservative briefcase business stuff. Yeah. I tell her I get in and I am literally shook to the core. And my mom goes, well, you can't take that. You can't survive on $10 an hour. And I was like, yes, I can. And I did. And they did not help me. I did it all by myself. But in that high moment, my mom's voice rang a little too true. Yeah. And it was like, you can't do this. And I was like, I can and I will. Like, yeah. I, and I did it. So I think it was a slow chipping away of the alternative scared me too much. So it wasn't like I was brave going towards what I wanted. I was scared running from what I didn't want. Yeah, and there's an important distinction in that as well. Yeah. But I love that you chose that and then you kept moving forward. So you did the page program and then you get to today and then you get on air for the fourth hour. So I get on that because at the time, all the way through there, I'd talked to that boss about auditions and stuff. And I realized... I needed a reel. And in the beginning, I was trying to make a type of reel that was news. And I thought, but I don't want the job on the other end of that. So my friend said, the thing you want to do, do it. And the website had just taken off. Broadcast network TV was a little behind, but the website was taking off. And I was arranging, you know, I had 12 hour days. I was there at five when the bands came and everything. And I said, what if I were to do these interviews that you're putting online with a producer off camera? If I offer around my job to do all this work and find someone to help me, like, would you take it? And they were like, sure. sure. <laughs> so I end up, and it's funny because I worked with Susan, a PA, and Kyle, an intern. Kyle went on to be a producer and then on air. Susan went on to be a producer um, and then left for her own reasons. But she clocked more hours on the edit machines than any producer did as a PA because of our project. Amazing. And it was all passion. Each one of us wanted it for reasons that we were like, I just want to do the work. So I started by doing that. And then as I was doing all these little pieces, like I decided... Again, I credit this to the type of worker I was because you work in a lot of unions and stuff. And I remember I wanted to shoot these little interviews where we called it confession cam, like any celebrity that would do it, Jamie Foxx, all this. Like we had a question, like, do you remember your first kiss? Like really innocent, but yeah. behind the scenes. The very strict union people would come up to me and I remember them saying, don't tell anyone, but I'm going to give you this curtain to put behind your camera because I had spent my days loving where I was at, therefore taking care of people, feeling giddy that I worked in 30 Rock and looked at that tree and the excitement of that Iowa girl never left to the point people liked it. It made them love their job. And the beauty of this entire story, Sarah, is that you've carved your own path and you've created the life you want. Time and time again, there are things that could push you in other directions, but there is this insistence that you know what's best for you and that you keep moving forward along that path. And I know that so many people question their gut, they question their judgment, but it really is a true testament to creating the life you want and creating the life story you want. So you go from the Today Show, you've been at the Today Show now, we're gonna skip forward for 11 yeah. years and you make the decision to leave. What did that take? Because it's gotta be really hard where you've grown up with one product, you are at the Today Show, you know what that looks like, and then another opportunity comes. That was such a hard decision. It's still 
like a lot of dark points in my life is a like it, I have a visceral reaction thinking about it yeah. for this reason. So the one little blip I didn't answer in your last question is when I was making these interviews, eventually it was noticed and yeah. they were like, you're doing these fun things and Hoda and Kathy Lee were like, come do them with us. Like that hour, now it's great. But at the time, no one wanted to work on it. It was a new hour and all this stuff. And they're like, come have fun with us. I was like, sure. You know, so that- <laughs> Your ladies look fun and I'm fun you're too. A, you're so, so here fun. We are. <laughs> and I had had dreams in visiting agents where you're just taking meetings. You're learning what a headshot is. You're doing this for years. I go into agents and they're like, I remember one agent said, well, what job are you looking for? And I was like, well, like hosting. And he's like, okay. Nickelodeon, like, you know, what do you want? And he's like, you need to be able to tell me what you are and you aren't. And I sat in that meeting and I said, he goes like, are you the e-babe? Are you going to take me to a Spanish island? I go, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not an e-babe. Like that's- Although that sounds like a great job to Great job, but I remember <laughs> immediately thinking of those women that like- Yes, were sent exactly. when I thought, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, so I know I'm not that. Yeah. I said, I'm more like a Kelly Ripa or The View. Yeah. Mention those. The next interview, the agent goes, well, tell me like what seat, what kind of job would you do? I go, oh, I know this one. A show like The View or Kelly Ripley's like, those seats are taken. And I was like, okay, so every agent so wants something different. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So not that big, okay. So yeah. I had said that and now I'm on air and I'm telling, I'm trying to reach out to all of the higher ups that have supported me all along the way. And I'm like, I really want chances to host. That's, mm -hmm. you know, and Jeff Zucker a few times put me in the third hour and was like, you can try this. But I was bumpy. I hadn't done teleprompter. And so I would beg for someone to help me with teleprompter, but then they couldn't do the teleprompter after hours. So I was finding apps and like doing all this stuff. And I said to one of my bosses, I said, I really want to do hosting. Like I, 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 and a couple of moments presented themselves where she kind of said, you know, I, I see you in the field. You're really great in the field. And I was like, I love the field, but, but there's something here that tells me that. And she's like, I just don't see it. And this is a woman that had given me a lot of chances. So it's not like I could just jump to a really basic excuse of she's trying to stop. You know, she really didn't see it. Yeah. And in a way, how could I assure her? I'd never sat in those seats, but I was pretty sure I could do it. She said, we love you. And I heard this from a few different executives. They're like, we love you. You've babysat all our children. You've grown <laughs> up on this show, but we love what you're doing now. And I instantly was like, I have to go because the regret of not having tried what I think is in there mm -hmm. will weigh heavier. This is comfortable. This is what I love. This is everything I've ever wanted. I am here, I am safe, and I have to go. And it's a fixed perception because it, to everyone, you're still the intern in a little way. Uh, completely. And Jeff also said in one of those interviews, he's like, sometimes to grow up, you have to leave home. Yeah. And I left and I became what I definitely didn't want to be, this news correspondent that had no one knew what to do with me because the TV landscape was changing. Yeah. Holding Kathy Lee was an anomaly. They didn't have that at every show. So they bring me over and here I went from drinking alcohol to Disney where they're like, don't touch the alcohol, they'll fire you. And I'm like, wait, I don't what? fit in here. Like yeah. I, everyone yeah. was going towards news stories and they didn't quite know what to do with Sarah Haynes. And I had signed a three-year contract. And I remember in those beginning days being so miserable that I would count each like three month increment that I, like passed and I, was, I wasn't engaged to my husband yet, but I was like, so if I stay six months, it is, is it embarrassing if I leave? He's like, I'd aim for a year. Then I hit a year. It's like, oh my God, I got two more to go. I was, and it wasn't till that third year that The View called. And then I got a chance to fill in with Michael on Kelly. And I started to get nibbles. I remember one time Michael and I didn't know each other because he was always passing me. He'd come in before he got the job for Pop News. I was a fill in for Pop. And one day he's like, I really think we should do that. And I remember thinking, 
I can die now. Like yeah. even if he thought that, that means someone saw what I've been trying to tell people. So I got a chance to sit in the view and then they started calling me back. And then I realized if that's my job, that's different. If I'm staying in this job, which I am an imposter, I'm out. Yeah. And at any point I always readied myself for if I had to leave the business because it felt a little bit like I snuck in anyway. So I'm at peace with that. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of imposter syndrome there too yes. that we all suffer from along the Absolutely. way. Absolutely. And especially if you're doing something that in your gut, you don't even feel like you should be doing in the first place. Absolutely. So I watched a really powerful clip last night of a, a new story that you did about postpartum depression. And so as all of this is happening, you're married and then you have your first son. Yep. And you suffered really, really difficult postpartum depression. Yeah. And you were so incredibly honest about that. When were you able to open up? Was that something that you did soon after having him? Or did you understand what was going on and come through it and then feel like telling the story? Because I'm sure as a journalist, to feel all those feelings and not be able to share them must be very weird. But I know postpartum depression for so long was something that people really kept inside and hid, which is, as we know, the opposite of what you should do. Right. So I don't think it was as as nicely packed as all that. First of all, whenever I'm down and struggling, my best friends know it's when the phone calls stop and the texts stop. So mm -hmm. when I need help the most, ironically, I don't reach for it. So I had friends that in those early days were just like, I'm coming over. It wasn't, can I? I'll and there are a few friends that just get it and they just showed up. Um, I didn't know what it was because in my mind, even though postpartum just means after birth, I thought of every Lifetime movie I'd ever watched, which was psychosis, not postpartum depression or anxiety. Postpartum depression and anxiety are much more common. Psychosis is a very small percentage. But I remember checking in with myself as someone who had had therapy off and on, had been on medications off and on since college, that I'm gonna be ready. I'm more at risk, but I'm gonna be ready because I know this stuff. It didn't look like what I thought it would. And I remember those dark days of not recognizing my life, not wanting to be in it, threatening my husband to leave with just the chihuahua because I wasn't going to leave my dog behind. I had no bad feelings to the baby. So I kept thinking, well, it's not postpartum, yeah. but, but I'm not cut out for this. It went on for so long that even now I'm still discovering things that I'm like, oh, because mental health and depression, anxiety is very elusive and it doesn't look the same for everyone. There are some themes. And I think... I always wanted to be a mom. And even despite all of I, what I went through, I'd do it a hundred thousand times more. But I wished I'd known a little more about what I was up against. Yeah. And one person said something. She was actually from my college volleyball team and we hadn't stayed in touch. I remember sitting in my bed late one night, I was pregnant and she wrote me and she, it was a blurb and it said something along the lines of, I heard the news, I'm so excited for you. Then it goes into, I just want to tell you that it's okay if it doesn't look like what you thought it would. And then it was like this back and forth contrast of it'll be the most joyful thing. It will also be the most dark and isolating thing. It oh, will so possibly see this, but it will be this. I remember stopping and it stopped me in my tracks. I didn't have any reaction like that's true or not. I just thought, okay, okay. That saved me. That saved you. That just saved that me because I just needed one person to tell me it's not just you. Yeah. And it's so incredible because you, from the outside looking in, have it all, right? You have this beautiful family. You have this incredible job. You're now on The View. You have lived the dream that you spoke about all those years ago. So to have someone who looks like you say, 
it doesn't look like you think it might. Yeah. Is the most powerful thing. And I know that there are so many women out there who are so thankful to you for shedding light on that because I don't think you can live a confident life if you're hiding things. And if you have the voice and the reach to be able to share that story, it's so impactful and so powerful to so many people. And I have a lot of friends who had postpartum, one in particular who I saw a very, very dark side, which is very scary. Um, So the fact that you were able to bring that forth is really something. So I thank you on behalf of all of our listeners for saying that. So you now have three children and as I mentioned before, you're on The View and this is your role. This is your life now. So talk to me about The View because I have to be honest, I feel like I'm a very confident person you must be made of Teflon to sit in that chair in the current world that we live in. I feel like every word that people say is measured and you know seen through a lens of whatever somebody else wants it to be. How do you deal with your job and also the outside perception of what you say and hear the positivity and the negativity and, and allow yourself to hear both of those things in equal measure and not completely lose your mind? Okay, so the equal measure, it's funny because I think Oprah once said you have to treat negative the same way you'd treat positive from strangers because it all has the same value. Yeah. You just liked what one person said versus not the other. Yeah. Um, I have had to learn, I'm a people pleaser and I had to learn this lesson early. Um, I was at The View a first time and then a second time. So the first time, I always knew I loved the exercise of unscripted opinions, reading in, because there are layers to all of us. And I love talking about the most recent news story, not the wonky weedsy, but the news story. But I also want to talk about celebrities. And so I'm all those things, but people see the silly, the happy, and they don't always know that there's something kind of more there. So I love the exercise of taking something new every day and asking myself, what do I think? How am I going to say that clearly and concisely? The first time around, I don't think I was as good at it. The Mm -hmm. second time around, because I hit another really dark spell, my third son, I had some deep postpartum and I was going through a major professional low. Mm -hmm. Never been as raw as that. What was that? So I'd gotten this show, which had been, the only other dream I ever had was the view or a show, Mm -hmm. like a two-person talk show. I get it with Michael. From the beginning, I now realize that it wasn't personal. They always wanted it to be kind of a not expensive hour, like to produce. And an extension of that morning brand, they wanted three people. I saw it because I wanted to see it this way Mm -hmm. as my opportunity to have that two-person show. Got it. So every change, there were three titles, studio changes, no one, the chairs, they had a comedy writer who had never EP'd. They had staff that was understandably, it's a new show, very young, didn't have, it was a perfect storm, but I couldn't let go of, if I had been better, it would have been fine. And through the entire time. Never had I felt a pregnancy should be planned around my job. In fact, I was pregnant the first time I filled in on the, I was first asked to go to The View, I was pregnant. The first time I sat in with Michael, I was pregnant and I was so early, I couldn't tell anyone. So I'm pregnant and my dreams are coming true. I didn't see that as a problem because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm older and I can have babies and this is amazing. Yeah, like, and yeah. so I thought, and by the way, because I only wanted so little, I just needed to fill in to die and be happy. Right. I didn't need, I didn't really think that was gonna come true. But yeah. so I'm going through all this. Then I get this show and it's the first time I've said out loud, we have our two babies, a boy, a girl, Max, this is my husband. I said, I cannot get pregnant right now because I would have a mental breakdown. I'm just telling you. Too much. Too much. And we had always talked about three, but I was letting him know we never saw any of that coming. We can't do this. And he's like, agreed. Two weeks later, I find out I'm pregnant and I might've just been pregnant even when I had that conversation. I 
broke down and continued to break down through that entire pregnancy to the point that I had to raise flags at work because for the first time, I think it wasn't just me seeing it like, oh, could you tell I was nervous? No, I was starting to forget what I was saying. I was throwing to commercial at weird times. And I thought, if I don't heads up this and I'm having a mental problem right now, I could be fired, you know, like yeah. something this could, could be happen the end of to my me. Career. Yeah, sure. so I thought just for job security, and I remember kind of raising my hand. That was such a dark period. So to not make this too long of a story, I get asked to come back to the View. I never wanted to leave in the first place. I didn't think I'd be offered some. I wasn't looking anywhere, you know. I sit there, and I have a zero F's policy now that I know I won't. I hope don't feel that again. Yeah, putting it out there. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Yeah. What a great way to live. Sarah, this has been such an incredible conversation. I'm so inspired by your message. I can't thank you enough for sharing everything that you've shared with not only me, but with our listeners as well. I know that so many people look at you and think you have it all. And it's clear that you've carved that path for yourself. So congratulations to getting to where you are, but also keeping us all humble along the way and, and keeping us aware of the story as you go along. So where can our listeners find you? Okay, so my favorite thing is right now I'm kind of growing my Instagram, TikTok, social, mainly so for content, not, yes. you know, because I want to remind everyone in that beautiful closing you had that I am still and remain a work in progress, which is why I can have gratitude in the day because marriage, not easy. Parenting, not easy. Confidence in your job, not every day. So I am flawed like every one of you listening in a way that when you see it, don't forget it's a mirage. <laughs> right. Instagram is a lovely filter. It's that a we lovely filter. Through. Absolutely. Yeah. So they can find you on Instagram and I've watched the videos. I think they're fantastic. So much to learn from. I would also say to our listeners, thank you for being here again. It's always so wonderful to be on this podcast. And I hope that every woman who you hear helps you claim a little of your confidence so that you are unlocking your superpower and living the life you want. I'm Lydia Finette. As you know, you can find me on Lydia at Instagram or I'm on LinkedIn. I also am very active on my website, www.lydiafinette.com. A huge thank you to Rockefeller Center, which you can follow along at Rockefeller Center. Please stop by the podcast booth, which is located, it's a glass front in the middle of Rockefeller Plaza. It's one Rockefeller Plaza. And I will be updating my Instagram as to my next guests and recording sessions moving forward. Thank you again, Sarah. And to everyone else, I'll ask you this. Think about what you have in your life right now and what you want in your life moving forward. Take inspiration from Sarah, create that roadmap, live the life you want, and feel free to DM me if you want someone to keep you accountable because I promise I'll do it. Look forward to seeing you guys again next week on Claim Your Confidence. <laughs>